will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And whom he was speaking of was the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure they are all saying this, this, is, this is too too amazing to be true, that there is someone better for us, that it's better for you to take off. Now, he wasn't saying really the Holy Spirit was better, but what he would be doing would be better. Because when Jesus was here, he limited himself physically. He was fully God and fully man. So at that point, he uh, willfully chose not to exercise his ability to be omnipresent which simply is a fancy way to say he could be present everywhere. But when he was physically here, he limited that. And we could see the effect of that on their lives. When Jesus wasn't around, they were filled with fear and the unhealthy kind of fear. When Jesus was around, they were filled with no fear, except possibly fearing him and not wanting to disappoint him. And so what we've been doing in this whole pursuit of knowing God is to take a focus, particularly in the last number of weeks, on the Holy Spirit, who, who one author has said is the forgotten God. And I encourage you to continue to read through that as we emphasize uh, who the Holy Spirit is. And the reality is, and what we really want to, to speak clearly to about today, is that you can truly know God more fully if you understand the Holy Spirit and, and understand Him not just intellectually but relationally. And so we truly believe that you can know God more fully in your pursuit of knowing God as you understand what the Holy Spirit is doing and why the Holy Spirit is doing it. And that's really our focus this morning. And God communicates to us in a variety of different ways. He obviously communicated us in a physical way as, as God the Son invaded history and became a man. And He has communicated to Himself in creation as we look around us and see His beauty and His design. And then he has communicated this most clearly, and we can look it up when we forget, is in his words and in the word. But as you think about it, there, there is no words that can fully describe who God is. And so as we think about even the words that are used to give us a clue into who, who the Holy Spirit is, that is you look at even people who take a Greek word from which God delivered it the first time, and then as people throughout the world translate it into their own language, there's often a struggle. So well, how, how should we translate this, this word out of a, another language into our language? In our English Bibles, as you look at John 16, 7, as well as other verses in John chapters 14 through 16, when it comes to the helper, they'll sometimes translate that word comforter, and sometimes it'll translate it counselor. And some of you even today will have those different words for what I uh, read this morning as sending the helper. And it translates the word paraclete. But what I want to do just in the introduction this morning is we think about just how important it is to know God by knowing fully and truly who the Holy Spirit is by what he does and why he does it. Uh, I, I want to take a little bit of time a little bit with that word paraclete. I was reading this past week of um, a nation in Africa near the, uh, near the Ecuadorian area. And, and as you think about that, they have a language called Kerry. And as, they, uh, as the gospel was brought to, to these people and they began to put the Bible in their own language, they were, they were struggling with translating this word for the Holy Spirit, paraclete. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't come up with some term in their own language that would describe it sufficiently. And then one day this happened, and here's the account of it. 
there was a struggle in the carry language, uh, finding it difficult for the translators of the New Testament, especially when it came to the word paraclete. How would you describe the Holy Spirit? One day, the translators came across a group of porters or laborers going off into the brush carrying bundles on their heads. They noticed that in the line of porters, there was always one who didn't carry anything. Anybody want to volunteer for that job? Yeah. And they assumed he was the boss. I guess bosses don't do any work, right? Okay, he, he was the boss, but more of what they said, they, he was there to make sure that the others did their work. And that's often what the boss do, is supposed to do, make sure the others are doing their responsibilities. However, they discovered he wasn't the boss. He had a special job. He was there... Should anyone fall over with exhaustion, he would come and pick up the man's load and carry it for him. This porter was known in the carry language as the one who falls down beside it. And see, the word paraclete, if you were to literally translate that word, it means to call alongside. And so when we think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he's called alongside us to carry our burden and empower us to be and to do what God wants us to be and to do. He's that one that's right there at any moment. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the, the what and the why of the Holy Spirit. As far as who is God, and we need to just call that always back to mind, God is one. He's one essence. There's one supreme being. But he's revealed himself fully that, that God who is one is also one in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing in pursuing God is to really understand often what becomes the forgotten person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we want to basically just simply do two things. Look at what the Holy Spirit is doing and why he, he is doing it. And so look, let's look at it this morning. What is the Holy Spirit doing? And we're not obviously going to be exhaustive in all that he, he is doing, but some critical things that are important for us as we try to put this into practice. Uh, and that was one of the questions out of uh, one of my life groups this past week. Well, how are you supposed to live this out? What does that really mean in everyday experience? Well, let's, let's see if we can answer that by what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does indwell believers. And you could even say permanently now. The Holy Spirit indwells believers. And that word indwell simply means he's, he's living on the inside. All right? Trying to get on the outside for us in ter terms of demonstrating. But the Holy Spirit is not just simply around us. He is in us. And, and the Bible describes it so powerfully that if that is not true in your own experience with God, then you don't really know God. You only know about God. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells where? In you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who, what's the next word there? Dwells in you. And so we need to understand that this is, to put in these terms, this is the package deal we get with God. When we come to know him through Jesus Christ, and he's the only way, you know, that familiar statement, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. 
And when we are born again of the Spirit, and we've all heard that phrase, being born again, whatever that means, uh, for some people they read that phrase, is you think about being a born again, what happens is God takes our life and makes it new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new person, he's a new creature. The old is past and the new has come. But when we come to know Jesus, we get all of God. We get God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, indwelling you, then you are not one of His children. And the neat thing of, of this is that not, that's not something we have to beg God to do. He will do it. Uh, remember the experience that John the Baptist had as um, he was used of God to prepare the way for Jesus? And people came to him. They were pretty impressed. And they said, well, I want you to know I, I baptize you with water, but there's coming one that's so much greater than me. And he's going to baptize you with the what? Holy Spirit. And so there's a unique thing that happens once Jesus came. And then as he promised, when that would happen, when I leave, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be immersed. And that's what the word baptism means. You're going to be placed in the Holy Spirit. And now that experience is a permanent one. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, in speaking of Jesus, after you heard the word of truth, and no one, no one responds to Jesus unless they hear about Jesus, and that's why we're called to be his spokesmen. The gospel of our salvation, which is the good news of what Jesus can do for us, in whom also, having believed, that's our part of the whole salvation transaction. Jesus does all the work. We trust in what he has done. You were sealed with the, who? Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not only to indwell us, it's to make us fully aware that this is a permanent relationship. This is not, this is not dependent upon how good we are to keep the Holy Spirit in our life. If that were true, I, 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 I wouldn't be here. I don't have the personal capabilities of holding on to the Holy Spirit well enough because of the, the, the sin that I find myself falling into. And unless the Holy Spirit was always there to come right beside me when my bundle gets dropped and he puts it back, uh, it's the Holy Spirit that, that indwells us and keeps us indwelled. It's his seal that makes his mark that he will never leave us. As we have our life groups and our small groups that are studying whatever we're teaching on Sunday morning, but particularly as it relates to the Holy Spirit, one of the things I invite them to do, if you've got any questions, you know, from what happened on Sunday or in your discussion, you know, fire them back to us. And over the last couple of weeks, there have been two questions, and I thought, well, maybe I'll answer them here because it's quite possible some of you have these same questions. And one of the questions was found kind of taken off in a passage in Luke chapter 11 where, where Jesus talks about, you know, if you ask, you know, for a, good, a gift, you know, God as the Father is going to give us a good gift. And if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's going to what? He's going to give it to you. Well, that almost seems to apply. Well, is that something we're supposed to do? Ask for the Holy Spirit. And, and I think the emphasis there was not so much the asking of the Holy Spirit, but that the Father gives good gifts and you can trust him. 
But we need to understand that this is a gift that God gives us. Okay, and it's not something we have to ask for. Now, now why do I say that? Uh, because it's Jesus who does the saving. It's Jesus who does the baptizing in the Spirit. It's the Spirit who chooses to indwell us. But, but I want to say this as well. Some say, well, is there, is there any difference between how God worked in the Old Testament as, as he works in the New Testament? Now, God never changes. But as we talked briefly about, is that though God never changes, how he works with people has changed many times. You know, we are not in the Garden of Eden. Have you discovered that? Okay. It's totally different. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not in the wilderness with Moses going toward the promised land. You know, we're, we're not in that theocratic, theocratic kingdom of Israel with you had judges and then you had kings. And, and Jesus was, was the one promise that he has come. And in fact, just read through Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about all those who did faithful deeds for God and were faithful to his promises, but they had never received the promise. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit obviously was active. He wasn't taking a nap for all those hundreds of years, thousands of years before Jesus came. But his relationship with true believers were different than they are today. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. And you're saying, where in the world is 1 Samuel? Well, it's in the Old Testament, okay? And if you find the book of Psalms, hang a left, and uh, you'll run into it, all right? Uh, if not, just listen as I, I read a portion. As you're, as you're turning to 1 Samuel, um, ch chapter 16, I want you to kind of just fall on verses 13 and 14. Uh, and as you're doing that, let me just tell you about another passage. You might want to just write this down if you want to think this through a little bit further. In, in Psalm 51, you have David, who was anointed by God to be a king after Saul. And we're going to see that right in this passage we're looking at. But... but David, even though he's a man for God's own heart, fell into sin, didn't he? And he experienced all the consequences for, because of his sin. He recognized not, he, not only had he had sinned against people, but he had sinned against God. And in Psalm 51, I think it's verse 7, he says, um, in pleading, or it might be verse 11, uh, Psalm 51, verse 11, he pleads out the guy, he says, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And you're thinking, so you could have lost the Holy Spirit? And if that's true for David, could that be true for us? We need to realize, again, that, that Jesus said that it was going to be better for him that he took off because he would send the Holy Spirit. He was sending the Holy Spirit in a completely different way. Not the Holy Spirit was different, but that he, God was working differently with the people that knew him. Look at Psalm 16, verses 13 and 14. And we're going to look at two people, Saul and and. And David, and we'll start with David first. And this is a longer story that we're not going to unpack. But basically, Saul was led by God to say, uh, or Samuel was led by God to say, Saul's reign as king of the people of Israel is going to be done. And so you need to find the next king. So he finds the next king, and it was rather unusual choice. It was the, the youngest of the brothers of Jesse. And when he found him, this is what he did in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, this is David, in the midst of his brothers, in this key statement, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now David was, was 
a believer. He had seen God do miraculous things as he was a shepherd, as he was being able to protect the flocks. But he didn't have the Spirit of the Lord in the same way um, then as he did after Samuel came to him. Well, how about, how about Saul? Look at, look at Saul. Look at verse 14. And we're just, this is just the Reader's Digest view of this. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and his distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So the relationship that Saul had with God changed because of his sin and disobedience. That does not happen now, but it happened then. And, and so this is, this is what I would say as we think about the Holy Spirit. And this is a question that I haven't asked or was asked, but I want to try to answer. If, if the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, and we believe that's true, then, then why, you know, why would the Holy Spirit have to come in a, in a special way to indwell believers now if he's always everywhere does that make sense i mean the question is a little beyond our ability to fully understand god but i would i would put it this way and again we started with saying we have a we have a a a challenge to try to use words that describe or explain how an infinite god works with finite people right How, how, how are we supposed to do that we have limitations. And so here's what I would say about the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives now. And it also relates to how he was back then as well. He is always present. He is everywhere. Psalm 139 describes that. But the issue here is intimacy and relationship. And I guess you could put it this way. Have you ever been in a room with you know, people you know in various levels? And you know, some you know really well and some you maybe just met. And there's a difference. Even though you're in the presence of people, there are some people in the room that you have a much more intimate relationship with. And this is, this is what it says in terms of our understanding. This is how I, at least I try to understand it in terms of the Holy Spirit. Once we come to know God in a personal way through Jesus Christ, God sends His Holy Spirit within us. And so now we have that intimate relationship with him that's sealed by him. And so we never have to worry about on his end that he's going to somehow run from us. It's only on our part how close we get to him. So the issue is always the intimacy of our relationship with God, not the presence of God in this universe. Does that make sense at all? If we're speaking about uniquely, when Jesus came, he said, you have experienced God in your presence because I've walked with you. It's going to be better for you that I leave, and the Father and I will send you the Holy Spirit in a unique way that has never been experienced before, and now he's going to dwell in you. And the issue there is now intimacy. We have, we have, the, we have the awesome privilege of having the living God live within us. And it's not only reserved for people who have certain positions. And see, that's the difference there. The Bible, we're never going to get to this. I'm going to give you this kind of larger philosophy. I mean, not philosophy, but theology here. One of the things that happens as God is doing this new and fresh thing is the Bible says that for every believer, you need to understand there's a thing called the priesthood of believers. You ever heard that phrase? The priesthood of believers? Nod your head like some of you. Some of you are going like this, which is fine. 
Okay, you can read in Peter all about it. But the, the priesthood of believers. In the Old Testament, basically, if you sinned, you had to go to the priest who would represent you before God. In the New Testament, the Bible says, look, it, there isn't this priesthood going on anymore. All of you who know me in a personal way are now a priest before the living God. And you go directly to him. There was a place where the priests had a more intimate relationship with God in the Old Testament because of their role and relationship with him and responsibility. Same as those who were in positions of judges or kings. And God anointed them for special things to do. And there were other times where God would, would take out people within the family of God and, and anoint them in special ways. But now the Bible says every child of God is a priest that goes directly to him. And the difference, you wouldn't come to me and say, you know, Priest Mike. You could, but I could go back to you and say, well, Priest Tony. And it wouldn't even be related to gender because we go directly to God. And that's all about the Holy Spirit now indwelling us. Does that make sense at all? Okay. Um, so that is what the Holy Spirit does. And what's so awesome about that part, and part of, is you, oh man, we don't have any time, is... In living out the Christian life, there, there is, there's a struggle to keep things in balance or in tension. In uh, some of my groups, I use this phrase all the time. You, you can spend your, all your time looking at the Bible and seeing what the God wants you to do. And that's important. But what's equally, if not more important, is look at what God has already done. And this is something we don't have to do. We don't have to beg for the indwelling of God in our lives. That's something he just gives to us. We just need to acknowledge it and, and just praise God for it and just remember that wherever we go, he's that porter right beside us when we drop the, the burden upon our, on, our on, you know, on the ground. He's there to pick it up and carry it for us. He's the one that's inside us when we feel, I just can't do it anymore. He's the one who gives you strength. He's the one who'll never depart from you. And that's true in a sense at any moment whether you believe it or not. A truth is a truth whether you acknowledge it at any moment. Now, you only take really full advantage of it is that when you do acknowledge and believe it and then try to live it out. This is the presence of God, the indwelling of the Spirit. And a, a person can't know and have a relation with God unless that is true because that's what Jesus said would happen. That's the indwelling of the Spirit. The other side of it which I thought we were going to spend much more time on, is the filling of the Spirit. That's our responsibility. God's responsibility that's been promised is that He would indwell us. Our responsibility is to have that indwelling Spirit fill us. But that gets back to the question, well, what does that mean? How is that supposed to be lived out? And here we're, I don't know how I'm going to do 30 minutes and five. Okay. Let me, let, me, um, let me just say a few things. All right. Oh, my. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. We, we, uh, we talked about this when we went through the uh, series in, in Ephesians. But let me, um, let me just say a few things about this. Ephesians chapter 5. This is, this is our challenge in living out our relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses... William started verse 17. Uh, we'll start at verse 15. So then, 
see that you walk circumspectly. That's New King James language. You could just say, see that you walk wisely. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And why did he tell the people in, in, the, in the church at Ephesus to walk wise walks? Because they weren't what? Walking wise walks. You're, you're being foolish in your relationship with God. You need to get this. What do you need to get? Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What were they getting? They weren't understanding what God wanted them to do. Okay, what, what is God's plan? Well, what is God's plan? Well, fundamentally, first step is verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on and describes what that will look like if you are filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Does that mean you're going to join the choir? You're going to start singing special music and join a band? No, I think he's just simply saying... If you're walking with the Lord, you'll be filled with praise. You'll have a joy in the Lord. The Bible says in Zechariah, I'm starting to speak fast. Zechariah, this is the joy of the Lord is our strength, all right? So he said, look, if you're filled with the Spirit, there's going to be a joy there. And then he goes on and says, giving thanks always in all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in fear of God. He said, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll have joy, you'll be thankful, and you'll be a person that's easy to live with because you're submitting to people who are in charge. But he says, how does this happen? It happens because you're committed to doing your part. God does his part. He indwells you. But you're to be filled by him. And, and when you're filled with him, let me, let me give you a picture about it. Let's take a person who is filled with wine. And if you're filled with a lot of wine, you would call yourself what? Drunk. All right? He says, what I want you to be is I don't want you to be drunk on wine or alcohol. I want you to be drunk on the Holy Spirit. Now, when a person is drunk on the Holy Spirit and they're driving, we call that they are what? Driving under the influence. And simply that's what he's saying here. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Just drive, govern your life under the influence of the most holy God, the Spirit who indwells you. You know, I was going to give you all, I got all little these object lessons up here for you. I got a little trucks and things like that. It, put it even simply. What does that mean if you're driving under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You give him the, the wheel in your life. Well, how do you give him the wheel of life? Well, just ask him, God, give me direction. Help me make it the right decision. Help me have the right attitude. Help me overcome what I've been doing that I shouldn't be doing. Help me to start doing the things I should be doing. God, direct my, my, tr- my, 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 my journey through life. Drive under the influence of the Spirit. And that's done simply by saying, God, just help me do that. Oh, man. Turn your, oh, I have in your outline. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Uh, it says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Doesn't that sound kind of similar to what we just read? And whatever you do or word, do in all the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That sounds really similar to what we just read in Ephesians, right? But now the emphasis is not the Spirit, but it's the Word of Christ or the Word of God. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be filled in dependence under his influence, the Spirit of God directing you. But how does God do that? He does it with the Word of God. And so as I am actively participating in the, with the indwelling of the Spirit in my life, I am willfully depending upon Him, asking Him to guide me, to give me strength. But I'm also saying, well, how I know what you want me to do is I want to know your Word, which, interesting enough, the Word of God was inspired by who? 
This is not a quick question. The Holy Spirit. And our ability to understand the Word of God is given to us by who? The Holy Spirit. So I'm participating in something that the Holy Spirit has actively given us and allows us to understand. And so when I let the Word of Christ govern me, when I let the Word of God govern me, that's what the Spirit does. He inspired it, and He illuminates it, and He allows it to, to govern us. So what does it mean to, to live out this relationship with the Holy Spirit? Drive under the influence of the Spirit and the Word of God. Uh, there's other word pictures, and I'm just going to state, I think. All right, uh, number three, walk step by step by the Spirit. And that's the whole idea, of, and that's the verse you're all memorizing. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God has given us word pictures so that we get confused and say, well, you know, how do you get from point A to point B if you're not riding something uh, or being uh, in some kind of a vehicle? Well, you usually, you usually walk, right? And what you do, every walk is a step at a time. And so as you go through life, every step, you want to be in God's steps. You know, when Jesus was here, and that's the picture he gives, he said, it's going to be better for me that I leave. When they were doing well with Jesus, whatever Jesus did, they what? They did. Whatever Jesus was talking about, they were ready to talk about. Whatever attitude that Jesus had, that's the attitude they wanted to have. How much Jesus was able to forgive people, that's how much they wanted to forgive people. And it was a step-by-step following the example and the pattern of Jesus. And when we do that, that's walking in the Spirit. Step-by-step looking in the direction that God wants us to go. Fourthly, uh, being filled overflowing. That's the old idea. Well, you know, being filled, we kind of think of a glass here. And it, if it has water in it, that's good. You've got, you got something in there. But what, what God wants to do in our lives, He wants us to, to overflow. In fact, in, in John uh, 7.38 says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he talked about that in that passage, should put in there. He talked about the Holy Spirit. Well, you have a glass of water here, and I had it here. You know, you pour more water on it. What's going to happen? It's going to overflow. And what God wants us to go through life is having the Spirit flow through us, and we leak on everybody else around us. Man, just that love and, 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 the, and the purpose that we're all here for just, just seems to just come out of us. And people see that in us. The Bible also says in 2 Peter chapter 1.21 that uh, people were moved or, by the Holy Spirit. And it's the idea of sailing along. It's like having a boat and, you, and you're directed by the winds of, of life. But here it's not the winds of life, but it's the winds of the Spirit. We could say a lot about that. Be, be controlled by the Spirit. Uh, the same word for being filled with the Spirit is found in being filled with other things. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Did anybody ever have a temper tantrum? Anybody really get angry at somebody? Anybody just getting controlled by that emotion? Well, that's what it is. You, at, at any moment in time, if you're filled with rage, people don't have to try to figure out what's, what's really in charge right now. That emotion. Now, now, sometimes that emotion can be a good thing if it's being moved to righteous action. But most often, when we are filled with, with anger, we are out of control. And, and so that's another picture of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We ought to be empowered by the Spirit. And number eight, we ought to practice the presence of Christ. And see, that's where the Trinity all works together. When we just recognize Christ is with us as well and, and, and follow Him, and the Bible has a lot to say about that, and we have some verses listed. Let me, let me just conclude with this. That's the what. 
And if we don't get the what, that what, what God is doing, he's indwelling us through his spirit, and our responsibility is to be filled by him. Well, how should that leak out? What should that leak out and be seen as? And we talked a little bit about that, or God's word did, in terms of we ought to have joy, we ought to have thanksgiving, we ought to have right relationships with people. Uh, but here let me be two, two for all of us who are followers of Christ, ought to be primary in terms of understanding God's program. Number one, why does the Holy Spirit want to fill us, control us, influence us, direct us, empower us? Number one, to build the church of Christ. In the book, um, Francis Chan wrote this, I think, really challenging statement. He said, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you love the church? As you look around at your brothers and sisters, do you think to yourself, I love these people so much. I pray God empowers me to some way encourage these people toward a deeper walk with him. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification, which is the building up of the church that you seek to excel. See, none of us are called to be lone rangers. We are called into God's family. And in the other, one of the other challenging things he wrote in the book, he said, if everyone was like us, how would the church be? Now, we don't all have the same gifts. We don't have the, we're not all in the same stage of life. We're not, I'm not trying to confuse that. We're all unique parts of the body. But in terms of our heart toward the church, his church, it's his family, it's his bride. Do we love what God loves? And the Holy Spirit empowers us to be his children. And that's why he wants us to love the church. And then secondly, to give glory to the name of Christ. Are you longing for attention and credit for what you do? Or is your greatest desire for people to see Christ for who he is? Now, sometimes there's con- have you ever noticed that sometimes there can be conflicts in a church or whenever you get people together? And often it's you know, territorial and, and uh, you know, who, who, who really got the attaboy or girl or who, who really recognizing who, who's getting things done. And, and, and there's a place we ought to be affirming and appreciating what people do, but ultimately that's not why we do it, right? We do it because we want Jesus to get the glory. And so as we think about it, it, it is, is, is we think about knowing God fully. It's, it's about knowing what the Holy Spirit does and why he's doing it. He's doing it, he's doing it that the church of Christ, Christ's church, might be built up. And he's doing it that he might glorify the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we've raced through some things this morning, and, and um, I, I hope in all that was said rapidly and hits home in our hearts because so often we, we neglect what you've already done and we're praying for you to do something that we don't need to pray for or even ask for because you've done it and, and what you want us to be involved is just be part of it Father help us never be the same when we, when we really when we really dive deeply into the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives Help us to reach out with the love that only comes from the love of the Holy Spirit that's been poured into our hearts from the Father. Help us to be people that you make a difference in. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As I was uh, driving here, um, so actually the way, the way I pick songs is I usually get the, <clears throat> the message